You're listening to Once, episode 289, A Wondrous Place. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin. And I'm Heather Ordover. And we, uh, well, I actually have <laughs> something to bring to you. Oh. And it is Ooh. an apology. <gasps> what? I was a bit too hard on this episode Sunday night when we did our initial reactions. Yeah, you were. Since rewatching <laughs> the episode. Now, I know I did receive some comments from others who did say, yes, worst episode of Once Upon a Time ever. Since rewatching it and doing more research on things in this episode and connections, mm-hmm. I have a lot more respect for the episode. And especially being able to pick out certain things that were obviously Jane Espenson writing and how good they are in certain parts of the episode yeah Uh, so i no longer say this is the worst episode ever so i'm i'm sorry for bashing the episode i do still have problems with the episode and we'll discuss some of those a little bit later on it was uh i believe i called it in the chat on sunday night an entertaining collection of boring (laughs) because i was entertained (laughs) but i felt that none of it mattered to me that's a good way to put it. It was still, yes, I did not think that it was the worst episode ever. I, I groaned sometimes. I wondered if we were going to get to a point, and I have some problems with it, but it was fun to watch overall, and I didn't even mind watching it again. We've definitely had some episodes that I was just like, when is this over, and do I really have to watch it again mm, yeah. in the past, in past seasons? So, <laughs> so yes, not the worst <laughs> ever, not in my opinion. And speaking of the past, let's go there with our discussion. Starting out, pretty much when we see many years ago, it's the same thing as saying once upon a time. So if they ever say once upon a time many years ago, just say, that's redundant. Dun, 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 <laughs> I wonder why they don't just say once upon a time. Yeah. Do they think that people would be confused? Like, yeah, we know what we're watching. It would make more sense. <laughs> it would be cuter to say once upon a time. But nonetheless, uh, in this opening scene at the capital of Agrabah, there is Prince Ahmed, and he's actually a character in Disney's Aladdin. Uh, And Meredith of Everett Washington pointed out who he was. He was the stuffy prince who shoved Aladdin into the mud and was later attacked by Jasmine's pet tiger, Raja. Mm -hmm. And now he's a stick. (laughs) Now he's a stick. So that brings up question number one of the episode, which is very, very important. Is he dead or is he a stick? That can be turned back into a person. Well, for that, we have to go to Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. Heather, did you watch Once Upon a Time in Wonderland? No, and I've really felt the gap in my knowledge on this one because of it. I rewatched a couple scenes from some different episodes in Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, and yeah. it it reminded me how good of a short series it was. I'd actually. rewatch it. Uh, But yeah, so definitely watch it. But in Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, a character is turned into Jafar's staff, the one he has, the snakehead staff. Snakehead. At the end of Once, I'm sorry, I have to spoil Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. Okay, (laughs) do Uh, it. 
I'm, I just it. apologize for that. But at the end of Wonderland, that staff gets turned back into the character who it was all along. Yes, but it's a different kind of staff. It might be an entirely different branch, pardon the pun, of staff <laughs> magic. Uh, uh. I mean, if you're turned into a staff with a metal head and glowing eyes retaining power, maybe it's more possible to be alive than if you are turned into a fully wooden staff with a look of terror on your face. Yeah, and it was a different method for turning them into a staff. In Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, I forget exactly what it was, but I know it wasn't just throw a bottle of red dirt at them. You don't even have to open those things, turns out. That's pretty great. (laughs) Pretty good. uh, I think that's an enhancement on magic vials. Well, anyone who's played (laughs) Minecraft knows that you can turn any potion into a potion you can throw at someone else. (laughs) And thank goodness for that. It's one of the things I count on. Oh, really? <laughs> no. Nope. It's part of your daily routine. <laughs> <laughs> there are certain things that are just important givens. I, I think this was actually the first episode of a new reality show in Agrabah, which was just <laughs> Arabian Bachelorette. <laughs> it even comes with a prize, that, that ring. If I am win. not a prize to be won. <laughs> <laughs> but it brought us Sassy Jasmine, which might be my favorite Jasmine. I was so stupefied at the way she played it in that scene. No, I, I'm I'm actually kind of not that kidding. I disliked it. Yeah, it was but... it was weird in that mm-hmm. I felt like for a minute she had a different personality. Uh, yeah, and then it was sort of like, okay, how long ago was this? How did we get from that Jasmine to new Jasmine? I guess maybe there's some of that even in the animated Disney version. She has a spine. She has her moments. Yeah. I don't think Linda Larkin would have ever been able to play it like that. She was she was an awfully, awfully nice person. <laughs> Who was Linda Larkin? She was the voice of Jasmine in the original. I okay. think she actually was Jasmine in all of the animated versions. Uh-huh. Oh, cool. Yeah, she was good. And it's it's hard watching this Jafar because the Jafar from the movie was his voice is so mm-hmm. it's become such an iconic thing in my mind. And but it's... he's good. I like him. It's hard for others of us to watch this Jafar in one sense. If, because he's not. Because he's not Naveen Andrews. Who I love. Who played him in Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. Wonderland. So, but, but he, we did get to see more of him. And he is doing a good job with the role. It wouldn't, mm-hmm. I, you know, I now agree with you. If it wouldn't have been some kind of disaster if he had always been cast in that role. Uh, I mean, I like them both, but it is the same universe. So really, it probably should have been the same person both times. I actually felt with the first episode of Once Upon a Time in Wonderland that Naveen Andrews was not good for the part. I think I might have even said that in the podcast. I agree. I remember Mm. feeling that way. But he kind of grew into the part. Yeah. Well, if it's Naveen, I'm going to just have to go watch because I love him so. (laughs) And I think that was because... He was so different from the version that we were familiar with. Yeah. There again. In the chat room, uh, we just have the comment that Jonathan Freeman was both the original and the Broadway Jafar, which which Hmm. was really cool because they had to cut one of his songs from the movie and he was able to do it in the Broadway show, his Why Me song, which is actually called Why Me Hmm. and is hysterical. Interesting. Oh, and Rose loves... Rose loves Naveen, too. We can have an I Love Naveen fan club. 
I kept having a problem with Jafar in this one scene because they showed him from a distance walking along the floor. And I kept thinking, oh, gosh, no, he has to like slide or slither or glide mm. across the floor like right. he's, you know, the, in the Spike Lee movie when you have the inside man. They did a wonderful rack focus job that was just spectacular. Mm-hmm. But I kept I kept wishing he could just kind of sinister his way across the floor. Like a slow version of what Regina does when she, whenever she enters a charming ceremony in the castle. Kind of just like that. She does. She kind of glides. Kind of airport walks. <laughs> I, I do feel that way whenever I'm on one of those airport walks, which I've been on a lot of lately. I've done a lot of travel just this year alone. Do you sense you have a cape behind you? Well, yeah. And I always do you get feel... to the end and or do you before you get on? Do you say, sorry, I'm late? Yeah. <laughs> and there's some little uh, short guy at the end saying, it's the podcaster. Run. <laughs> I will get on every one of my flights if it is the last thing I do. Now, is it a cape or is it the coat that the guys wore in the Matrix? For me, it's more like a cape made out of XLR cables from all of my microphones. (laughs) That was an amazing mental image. That is an image. That's Game of Thrones. Nothing. That is really, that is impressive. At the market, uh, it's funny that... Jasmine thinks, oh, any thief at the market must be Aladdin because our our city has no other thieves. So it (laughs) must be Aladdin. It was the street rat. It was because he called him. He called the thief a street rat. Oh, Uh, yeah. I I had to watch it. I had to watch it again to figure that one out because I I went, what? But nonetheless, really cool to see Ariel again in once upon a time haven't seen her in a while yeah but so yeah then the necklace thing happened and i feel that i've had a memory gap yeah yep the necklace this is one of my problems now it's half of a problem or it it has two parts to it and one of those parts is a problem this part here in the past is not a problem for me the part in the future is the problem so in the future uh, or present day she is wearing the same necklace there at the tiki 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 room on Hangman's <laughs> Island. Here in the past, she says that this necklace is what gives her her legs and her voice. So go back to episode 306, Ariel. And that's when we met Ariel for the first time. She saw Prince Eric and there was Regina there as well. And, you know, Regina pretending to be Ursula and all of that stuff happening then. Regina took... Ariel's voice and Regina said something like the only thing worse than not being able to be with your love is being able to be with him and not speak to him or or something like that I'm badly misquoting that I know but the point is that Regina took Ariel's voice now that's also during the Neverland season and in Neverland they summoned Ariel in order to take a message from Rumpel and Regina back to Storybrooke because that's when Wendy's brothers who are working for Peter Pan or the home office, broke into Storybrooke and were doing all kinds of things there. They had to communicate so back Neverland. and forth. Yeah. So Ariel helped bridge that. Now, from what we had thought back then is from when we first met Ariel through the curse to when we see Ariel in Neverland, that she had been without her voice that entire time. That was our assumption. Because at the end of the episode, when... Uh, Ariel helps 
Regina, and Rumple. Regina then gives Ariel a bracelet that gives her the ability to walk on land whenever she wants, and Regina gave Ariel her voice back. It wasn't like a thing Ariel had to wear to get her voice back. It's just Regina took it, Regina giveth back. Blessed be the Regina. Wow. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> so here in the past, what I think could be assumed, uh, and Aaron also tried to help figure this out um, by suggesting maybe, uh, that's listener Aaron, that is, uh, maybe Ariel happened to run into the sorcerer's apprentice, or she found someone who had some magical item that she could wear that then gave her her voice and her legs. So that's what she has in the past. I have no problem with that. What I do have a problem with is that she's wearing that same necklace in present day because she doesn't need it since Regina gave a bracelet that allows Ariel to walk and Regina gave Ariel her voice back. Well, maybe she doesn't need it. Maybe she just likes it, just like she likes the ring now that Agrabah's not in it. That's totally true. Yeah, she is a collector. So... I think that's that legitimizes it. So she Good thing doesn't. For her need it. didn't give her two voices and four legs. <laughs> that would have been messy. <laughs> it's nice that you call her a collector, though, instead of a hoarder. <laughs> <laughs> All the forks. <laughs> hey, we collectors have to stick together. <laughs> now, something else here that initially I thought, really? You're just retconning and trying to squeeze things together to fit this episode a flying carpet right Well, before that i'm just kidding <laughs> ariel said that prince eric was in agrabah yes i had a problem with that the first time i watched this episode oh they move these people around more than chess pieces on a chessboard so i wasn't too concerned well <laughs> go back to episode 306 when Ariel met Prince to, Eric, I bet you did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> and at the ball, when they're dancing together, Prince Eric is talking about how he's about to go on this expedition. You remember that? That's the expedition that he was waiting for Ariel, and she came, and she had no voice, and, and oh, all that right. sadness. Well, while he's describing the expedition, he mentions some of the destinations. He says things like faraway deserts, and he names Agrabah specifically. All good. Whoa. Yeah. Continuity. So, total continuity (laughs) there that he's (laughs) supposed to be in Agrabah. Well done. Did you consult a nerd? (laughs) I I did some of that research by myself. (laughs) I meant the writers. (laughs) (laughs) Now, uh, you're going to hear several other things like that in this episode. Stuff... And I know one of them, you groaned during the episode when we were rewatching it, Jeremy. Um, there are other things like that in this episode, little details where we think, oh, that's pathetic. But they're actually uh, continuitous. Continuity? They, I like that. They fit. That's an important they... word that we need to invent right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's useful. They're continuitous. Mm-hmm. But then they have the Assassin's Creed inspired uh, set, flying rug. <laughs> Which I thought was uh, one of the worst looking graphics. I mean, oh, impressive really? kind of, but just. Oh, well, the, eh. the bad part. It, okay. It's bad unless you take. I'm going to bring Star Trek up again. Unless you take <laughs> Star Trek technology, maybe the magic that makes the carpet fly also gives it inertial dampeners. So when you are on the carpet, 
the wind, you're shielded from wind for the most part and from the inertia of the carpet. So you can fly around without sort of, you know, falling over or even having to hold on and stuff. I'm so glad to hear you say that because I called this the dilithium crystal episode. Oh, oh, mm-hmm. you're right. Mm, Captain, <laughs> you kind of do it. <laughs> yeah, and we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get, we'll get there. <laughs> when they get to Eric's camp, I found it kind of funny that no one was like, oh, a flying carpet. Wow. They just <laughs> land and everyone's like, oh, this is normal. <laughs> it's so, what, 13th century. Yeah. Uh, and when first watching this episode, I thought, oh, for this tiny little part where they needed to show Prince Eric, they got someone else to play his part. No, it's the same actor, Gil McKinney, really? who played Prince Eric in several episodes before. Does he look different? Yeah, he did look different. Different <laughs> hairstyle. Um, mm-hmm. But it is the same actor. So mm. awesome job there for that tiny one scene appearance. That's cool. Or that we know of. Maybe they shot other scenes, but probably it yeah. was only that one little scene. They got the same actor. And technically he was playing Jafar this time. Yeah, in the credits, it actually says Eric slash Jafar. Oh, funny. On IMDb. <laughs> Honestly, I was totally relieved that it was Jafar because the moment he said, I was bored with regular girls, I mm-hmm. felt a big mm-hmm. groan welling up inside me. And then the lines uh-huh. turned super dark and I was happy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a first. <laughs> yes, I was not expecting that twist. I liked that. From this, we learned that Jafar is bitter against Agrabah, and it kind of makes sense because Agrabah has seen him as the illegitimate son of one of the previous sultans. You know, look back at Once Upon a Time in Wonderland to understand more of that story and how he is uh, an illegitimate son of the sultan. But Agrabah has been protected by ancient magic that's in that ring. Even though we never saw magic actually coming from the ring. It sounds like a bunch of excusion. Put that in the dictionary and smoke it. <laughs> wow. Ooh. Yikes. You go. Yeah. It, it, mm, e, the only thing that would have made it worse is if they had Regina pop up and explain it. Oh, true. Mm. At least he had a reason to know that since they were introducing the concept to us for the very first time. Yeah. I know I did jump a little bit ahead with these couple scenes we have across the breaks. What did you think about uh, Jasmine's interactions with Jafar during this? Well, this, everything that happens here made it particularly hard to rewatch the episode and Mm -hmm. all of the I don't know what, how to explain it. I don't want to be too harsh. Sometimes people do beat themselves up for weird things. However, she stood up to him for a long time because why should she marry him? And then when it looked like the only way to save her people was to marry him, she said she would marry him. And part of that was giving him the ring that she had no idea had special power. Mm-hmm. At no time was she a coward. At no time did she fail her people for lack of trying. I don't get it. I don't get why she... Just wallows in all this. I w- maybe I've always been a coward, and I failed my people, and I could have helped, but I ran, or whatever she said before. It doesn't make sense. This just doesn't. This isn't 
the story that should have been behind all the words she's spoken about her experience, even in the third person, all season. I think it goes back to what her father said. Something about being the princess, it's your job to protect Agrabah. And so if it's her job, here she goes finding someone else to do it for her, trying to find Eric and to get an army and not to do anything herself. And even Jafar was basically saying, if you would have spent the time that you were looking for Eric and an army, instead coming up with your own idea, you could have defeated me. Well, that's manipulation. That doesn't, like, how? How would she have done that? Well, we don't know. But she probably could have figured out a way. She was working on the problem. (laughs) That's my thing. I don't, I didn't see any, I mean, you want to see cowardice. She should go talk to Rumpelstiltskin for a while. Yeah, and and I'm not (laughs) saying she was a coward. She'll feel really good about herself by the end. Uh, And and it was a brave thing for her to do to say, well, if marrying you is my only way to protect Agrabah, then I'll do it. That is a brave thing. So I'm not saying, yeah, I, I, I think she didn't do what she could have done. But what she did was not cowardice. Now, going to find a guy with, like, an army slash navy slash whatever to defeat a magic dude who can turn people into staffs and disappear at any moment is kind of a bad plan. But it's not really her fault. It was still a plan. Matthew Paul raises a good point about Jafar's motivation. He said, I wonder if Jafar going, oh, I never wanted to rule Agrabah after all, was in response to fans who thought that Jafar's objectives this season didn't align enough with what we know of Jafar from Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. Mm. It felt like this time they wanted to connect things to Wonderland better than they had been lately. But there are still issues like Jafar being in the wrong bottle and how he easily broke the genie curse. Uh, I think some of these are issues, some of them not. We'll dig more into some of those issues, but there are plenty of nice connections to Once Wonderland. So if you haven't watched Once Wonderland, go watch it. You can get it on iTunes, you can get it on Amazon, um, and there are maybe some other places where you might be able to watch it too. Great little series, I think 12, 11, 12, 13 episodes. Enjoy it. Before we move on to talking about the present, we are going to split our discussions. Instead of talking all about the present, we'll split it between Enchanted Forest present and Storybrooke present. But before we do, I want to remind you that Once Upon a Time's season finale, maybe series finale, is coming up. And it looks like it will be on Mother's Day, as usual. And we are planning, again, to have a season finale party in the greater Cincinnati area. I already have a location picked, and I've already talked with someone from the location, and they're willing to host. So if you are interested in joining us for our season finale, possibly series finale, we really don't know yet if we get a seventh season. If you're interested, then you can contact us for more information, feedback at oncepodcast.com. The place will be... Uh, potentially in the greater Cincinnati areas instead of northern Kentucky where we had it before. But if you're interested in that, watch for more details from us soon. We'll share those on Twitter as well as mention them in the podcast when we have more of that information. So let's jump now to the Enchanted Forest with this nice Nautilus portal jumping scene, which I thought was one of the coolest things ever in Once Upon a Time to see the way the Nautilus was sucked into the portal. Yes. I thought it was especially good because it was powered by dilithium crystals. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> That's the problem I have with this. I mean, I could understand if Gideon did something to create that portal, which eh, that's a little bit of a stretch, but that's less of a stretch in my mind than using Squid Ink 2.0 to create a portal. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. it is. I mean, yes, that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's frustrating on multiple levels. It's frustrating that we've not known this before. Mm-hmm. Have we had an implication that it could realm jump? Just no. as a vessel. And I guess they've really set us up for these sorts of irritations. I feel like if you want a show where people are constantly jumping from realm to realm, don't make the premise of the show how incredibly difficult it is and include a character sort of known as a realm jumper in the first season, implying that not very many people can accomplish this. Well, I think the way that you can reconcile all of this is to recognize the difference between the realms there are magical realms there are non-magical realms well i know and it was our world a land without magic that was impossible to get to except by the magic being and a dark curse and it seems like like a kid's book (laughs) it seems like they've been fairly consistent with that now magic does exist in our world so our land is not a land without magic anymore, even though they destroyed all magic. But then hope and happiness and throwing wishes into New York brought it back. Okay, so that aside, <laughs> I think it means our world is now a magical world. And so it's therefore connected with all the other realms. So standard realm jumping procedures can work because of that magical connection. Yeah, probably. You are a very, very generous man. <laughs> <laughs> and I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I guess if they they did call the Mad Hatter a realm jumper. Mm-hmm. And Nemo could also be called that because the Hatter used his hat. Nemo uses his ship, his sub. That's fine, I guess. But dilithium. <laughs> <laughs> Several episodes of our podcast ago, we'd theorized, would we ever get to see Jasmine and Aladdin again? It seemed like we would. Well, sure enough, we get to see where they pop up or hear about where they pop up. And it was in the middle of a field in the Enchanted Forest. So apparently that's where the ring was because the wish was take us to Agrabah and the the Agrabah is in the ring. So if they popped up in the middle of a field, an empty field. But the ring was in her pocket. Well, yeah, that's that's the kind so of odd part. the wish was helping so that they didn't just step on the ring and keep walking. Because right. technically that would have fulfilled the wish. It took them to Agrabah and then and then they walked away from it because they didn't see it. So it helped. It just said, hey, you'll probably miss this. So I'm just going to stick it in your pocket and you'll figure it out later. Yeah. Because the wish is a, you know, sentient being now. <laughs> <laughs> and a pesky one at that. Right. I had a hard time with the ring just in general because of where the episode ends up. Shouldn't she be cognizant of what the ring is in present day? Or did I miss a time a time gap? Well, all or- she knew from the past was that this ring had some ancient magical power attached to it that protected Agrabah. And she gave right. it to Jafar and he made Agrabah disappear in some way. 
he didn't have to go turn a donkey wheel to move Agrabah. He did some kind of magic and poof, it's gone. So he makes the joke about it being small, too small for trade agreements, but she doesn't get what that means. Well, that was later when she... Oh, was it? um, Yeah, when she already knew, when he had just told her, it's it's at your fingertips. Yeah, that's when he said that. And... Um, but here, I think she has no reason to think that the ring actually contains Agrabah. God. Yeah, it's just one of those things that it would be more fun if somehow the ring had been worked in at least to some of the other Agrabah flashbacks earlier in the year in some mm-hmm. capacity, some, you know, yeah, foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Some foreshadowing's good, maybe not as heavy as Emma's tears, but some foreshadowing is good. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to see that the Enchanted Forest is still in good condition. <laughs> <laughs> they have good groundskeepers. Remember when we were all like, I wonder if the Enchanted Forest still exists. Has it been destroyed? And now we have three main characters who ended up there in the space of a week in two different ways. Yeah, true. See, it used to be really hard to get back there, too, even though it's a magical realm. I guess there just wasn't quite enough magic in our world yet. And now a lot of people have come. And... It's a lot more traffic that's blazing yeah. path that's a little easier to follow. They're almost ready to build like an inter-realm. That's like an interstate, but you travel just <laughs> on, you travel on it among realms. Maybe that's what the Kraken took in order to end up in this what seems like a lake. Yeah, that lake's too small to have. That's a little Loch Nessy rough water in the middle i think mm-hmm. also a little small for a submarine yeah i think yeah. they would have had some other problems but that's okay it wasn't the you know the worst problem <laughs> the the kraken was a little much like mm-hmm. shouldn't people know not like you would think maybe it gets really shallow toward the shore so it's really safe if you don't go out on it in a boat maybe that's why you never see people out on that lake i think it's probably the same lake that we usually see with the castle on the other side. and might be. It might not be. They've definitely filmed in that location before because I practically recognize. Now, certainly it could be a lake with a river that runs through it and it connects it with the ocean. And it's the kind of lake where you might go to hide a Soviet nuclear submarine. Exactly. Or a Kraken. Or a Kraken or that a is a yeah. nuclear submarine in disguise. <laughs> Might as well be. It could run on its own blood. Duck, where? <laughs> okay, I, I love that. believe they used that line. I just about <laughs> fell off my chair. I couldn't. It's like, wow, it's suddenly it's vaudeville. Okay. And guys, I hate coincidence so much. What are the odds that they would end up in the same lake in the Enchanted Forest at the same time? Magic. That they did not get capsized into the mouth of the Kraken by a submarine surfacing behind them. They didn't even yeah. notice it. Yeah. Where and was the vortex? Hook. Couldn't Hook have figured out a way to accomplish? What was he going to do if they hadn't Thank been there? Thank you. Oh, my gosh. How was he going to get the Kraken's? Yeah. He has a harpoon. I got. I was so confused what? by his yes. reaction. Yes. Like, okay, so you were hunting a kraken. What part of Jasmine and Aladdin being there changed your plan? Yes. They were you going apparently... to use a syringe, sneak up on it while it was asleep? <laughs> and their little tiny boat disrupted it and woke it up more than your submarine was going to? So now you couldn't use a <laughs> syringe approach. 
So you had to kill the whole thing. I don't get it. <laughs> Apparently, they scared it away. <laughs> and krakens, really? like ducks, get scared away easily unless you have bread. <laughs> well, maybe not that last part. <laughs> no, no, it's people. Oh, you yeah. have to throw people to a kraken. Not people bread. are friends, not food. Unless you're a kraken. <laughs> Would that mean that the kraken itself can jump between realms? Oh, dude. That's something to consider. Mm-hmm. Really, Kraken is like Squid Ink 2.0. So when Hook takes Aladdin and Jasmine on aboard, he's clearly upset at them because they, you know, they scared away his opportunity. And we have Cranky Hook back. Cranky, Cranky Hook. Not my favorite Hook. They mentioned that Jafar is handy at traveling between realms. <laughs> no, he isn't handy at that. <laughs> The, in fact, the only time we saw Jafar, even in Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, travel between realms, he had to use the rabbit to do it. Right. A true realm jumper, yeah. if there ever was one. And I guess to add to the list of confusing things Jasmine did this episode, what was the whole line about maybe Agrabah has found its hero? Yeah. She sounded spiteful. The look on her face wasn't spiteful. And she kind of looked at Aladdin. And he was kind of like, true. and yet he's wearing genie shackles in effort in an effort to find Agrabah like how is that not heroing I don't and yet did she even mean that I was I was a little confused there too yeah I didn't get that I didn't get how they thought how Hook thought that he was going to go convince Jafar it's like really because last time we saw him I don't think that that would have been on the menu and the funny thing is, like I was, I'm confused by the reaction and by and by Aladdin's reaction. I'm confused by the line, and then I realized, you know, their story's almost done. It really doesn't matter. And that was where the collection of boring part kind of came from. It was like, <laughs> yeah, but I don't care because they're not. This is not going to be a long term relationship that we're going to see. So, oh well, <laughs> I don't get it, but it's okay. I couldn't figure out how that line could have been. Anything other than a giant diss. Right. It was just... It was just sad. You can't do that to my Aladdin. Was she maybe putting herself down again? Since that's what she did through the entire episode, and we all just took it wrong? Like, they were just like, well, Aladdin's definitely not a hero because he used the shears. (laughs) Yeah. Technicality. And so she thought she should have been the hero. Maybe that's what they were trying to get at, and nobody, out of nobody, took it that way. That is the only thing that has made sense. About that line. Thank you. <laughs> because, because truly, I mean, it was it was one of those like, what? He's like chopped liver. He's standing next to you, woman. What are you? How can you say that? You're supposed to be in love with him. What's going on? I would bet. But she if she's was, dissing herself, yes. then that makes sense. Yes. And it took two watches and some discussion to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> one of those other things, uh, points of discussion to figure out is that harpoon tip. We've seen that before. That's what Captain Nemo used in order to find Hook, who had his heart darkened with revenge or his heart set on revenge, something like that. That's the goal of the crew of the Nautilus, is to find those who have their heart set on revenge and help uh, revive them and and bring them back around. At least this was an object we've seen before used in the way that it was used before. Yeah. That's, you know, that's nice. I like that. That's called precedent. And continuity. I, I completely did not recognize it. I didn't either. <laughs> Daniel reminded me. In fact, oh, when God. Hook said the harpoon was taking them somewhere, I was very confused. 
<laughs> like, you mean wait. the spinny dial thing? Yeah. Like, what? You left it in the Kraken and now it's leading you somewhere? I don't know what's going on. I missed something. <laughs> but that does cause a man to start staring into the sea. Like you do. Oh. It's what one does when one is on the Nautilus. Yeah. But this this was kind of like the culmination of Jasmine's woe is me stuff. I mean, I didn't even get down everything she said. She's she's talking about it. She says, after all that I've done and failed my people and maybe I'm a coward and I always have been. And, and there again, especially watching it a second time after seeing what she was talking about. It just was a little much for me. I expected her to at least have had a chance to save Agrabah and she ran away. Mm. Even all the times that she talked about facing Jafar. I can't face him. I'm going to face him. I can't believe I'm about to face him. I'm like, how many times you can say that phrase? <laughs> but I get it. He just, none of it seemed particularly traumatizing. I'm not Jasmine, so I guess I just don't know. But it didn't seem like... I don't know. I've just, we've seen people go through worse and not say quite so many dire things about it. Yeah. And let it define their entire existence after that. Yeah. Oh, well, I guess all I'm saying is that the story, I didn't know if it had potential. And now we've seen it and it was not terrible, but I'm kind of glad it's over. Mm-hmm. And they did it quick. <laughs> like tearing off a Band-Aid. And it wasn't the only thing that got done quickly in this episode, but we'll get to that. Yeah. 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 Uh, Hook, meanwhile, plotting a course, visibly angry. I like the way Adeladdin's just like, yeah, sure, sure, I'll leave you alone. (laughs) So, did she say anything about me? (laughs) (laughs) So, this scene, I kind of liked because at first I was sort of irritated with how angry Hook was. But somehow by this scene, I started to feel sorry for him. And I I started to wonder if maybe some of the things Hook says represent us. Because he's kind of like, Aladdin. Just shut up. Nobody cares. Let me get back to the storybook business to get back and end all this needless drama that is no doubt occurring because I've been taken away. And that's what we all want. Just stop Stop with the Aladdin, the Jasmine stuff. We all know they're supposed to be together and they won't kiss for some really inflated reason. And Come on, princess. <laughs> How many times are you almost going to kiss me? <laughs> In case you all didn't notice... We're going to verbalize it. (laughs) But we've talked about it plenty of times in the podcast. Yeah, they need premarital counseling. That's what they need. Work on their communication issues. I did did like that he pointed that out for them just in case they hadn't noticed themselves. And speaking of pointing things out, uh, so (laughs) the Nautilus is sinking or it's whatever. I never thought of Nemo as such a quitter. (laughs) What in the world? Oh, my gosh. Right? The ship shuddered. The captain knows when it's going down. We're all going to die. <laughs> I wonder how many times he says he said that before. <laughs> Salvage probably mean the, the rest of the crew's probably like Nemo. You always do this. It's just it's fine. <laughs> it was just a little yeah. shake. It's we didn't die. We're going to go get it. It's fine. And, and what what gets me is <laughs> Hook is like, well, can't we go uh, just exit the sub basically you know get in some diving suits and exit and they said no the the diving chamber is flooded Uh, okay but in the same room where they're having this argument there are diving suits right behind them they could just put those on and wait for the sub to completely fill with water so the pressure is equalized and then open some door and then that might be how subs work but i somehow doubt that that lake is deep enough 
although it can hold a kraken. So yeah. maybe it's an enchanted so lake. <laughs> deeper are, than any ocean. There are some very, very creepily deep lakes out there in the world. Maybe that's where you get squid ink. Maybe they're going to go down there and they're going to get the Nautilus. They're going to get Kraken blood. They're going to get squid ink and they are going to fix Storybrook up. Well, you know, squid ink is supposed to be like from squids near the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. So then only people mm. who can get it are mermaids. Again, there is Or rumples. Helping. Or rumples. Or the crew of the Nautilus. True. Or if but you find how? some dried up in a book. <laughs> I do. I do hope that at some point they answer the question. And how exactly do you extract ink from the squid or from a kraken? Do you think it's supposed the to be a syringe while sleeping? See, a squid syringe. <laughs> now, a in, squid syringe. In the book Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, uh, I, mm-hmm. all I know about that book is from the Disney movie, uh, where there's this really cool island at the end that then blows up and. I always thought that was cool <laughs> as a kid, but um, you've spoiled that before, and I totally forgot. Oh, yeah, I sorry. Again. Nemo <laughs> goes down with the ship, even though uh, in that, like, the ship is on the surface, but Nemo is like, "No, we're gonna die. Everyone's gonna die with me. This is part of the thing." But then, like, Kirk Douglas is like, "Uh, uh, uh, I'm gonna leave." <laughs> now, Heather, you're our literature expert. Mm. How much of that is similar to the actual book? That's an excellent question that I've been trying to figure out. I I actually, it's been so long since I read it. I conflate the two stories, uh, this and Moby Dick, because Ahab and mm. Nemo uh, run a parallel course for so long. And I've been, I've been going back through notes and trying to figure it out. I, I don't have a conclusive uh, point of reference on the Nemo thing. I'm going to keep looking because I like Nemo. I like Nemo. I like the actor who's playing him. Oh yeah. But um, but I keep feeling like he's he's not being as completely portrayed as he could be, and that's why he isn't always making sense. Yeah. Because this isn't the first time where I've looked at what he's done and gone, really. We've got a lot of pop up characters where they just need to open the book a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> It's true because they they do make sense if you stick to the way the the author who had more time to work out the characteristics of that person. If you stick with what they came up with, then it's easier. But uh, I'm not sure about Nemo, but I'll I'll keep looking. I'm diligent. I'm stupid, stubborn. (laughs) (laughs) Nonetheless, they do get wished onto the island and uh, have this nice little experience at the tiki 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 room which from now on i'll just refer to as the tiki hut thank you because i don't understand (laughs) you have to go to disneyland or disney world yes and get the pineapple whip rub it in Mm. you'll go you'll get there (laughs) someday i i did think it's kind of funny that nemo now is all like oh we're gonna salvage the ship the ship that you know he was willing to just die inside of if it's salvageable what was going to kill them Maybe it's a difference of if you're on the inside versus on the outside because reasons. Maybe it's flooded. Because reasons. That's why. Yeah, I had a hard time with that too. And salvage what? If the whole thing is flooded and... Straws. Yeah. Long (laughs) straws. The only place you can get the kind they like are at Disneyland. (laughs) There were plenty of clues dropped earlier in this episode that where they are going is where Ariel is. 
Hangman's Island. From the episode 317, The Jolly Roger, we learned that Ariel and Eric are at Hangman's Island. That was the episode where, for the majority of the episode in Storybrooke, Zelina was disguised as Ariel. Meanwhile, Ariel was actually back in the Enchanted Forest. But the flashbacks for that episode were during the uh, one of the, the Zelina-infused Dark Curse time in the Enchanted Forest when Hook was all like, I've lost Emma, I don't know what to do, I gotta get the Jolly Roger back, I gotta prove I'm a pirate, and here's Blackbeard who has the Jolly Roger, I'm gonna kill Blackbeard, and all of that stuff. Ariel was in all of that, and Ariel was trying to find Eric, and um, she couldn't, and she ends up leaving Hook and presumably finding him. And then at the end of the episode in Storybrooke, when Hook is trying to cover up the fact that he found Zelina, or that Zelina was disguised as Ariel, Regina and Emma use a mirror to see Ariel, and they see, oh, Ariel and Eric are together on Hangman's Island. Wonderful. They're, they're having their happy ever after there. So here uh, in the scene just before what we're talking about hook was plotting a course and he was talking about getting to hangman's island okay and so we knew right from that that well that's where ariel is also the uh, the forks yeah were a dead giveaway but the forks were later in the part mm-hmm. of the booby trap the corkscrews <laughs> i had to do some <laughs> digging for that that was from episode 307 dark hollow where uh, that was shortly after the episode Ariel, where Rumpel and Regina recruited Ariel to try and help them while they were in Neverland, and Ariel then went back to Storybrooke. In that episode was when Ariel was helping Belle to find something. They were looking for Pandora's box inside of Gold Shop. And in the process, that's when Ariel finds a corkscrew, and she's fascinated by it and asks Belle about it. And she also finds a button that belonged to Eric, and that's what led to certain other things in that whole storyline process. They should catalog Gold Shop. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, got to get it off of <laughs> digitize some that sucker. Cards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where the corkscrews came from. Apparently, she was introduced to her corkscrew there in that episode, and she's been obsessed with them ever since then. Well, that's fun. I loved Hook's line too. About a broken cork can be tragic when it's really jammed in there. He had this one scene had more lines that made me giggle than anything except for Snow White. Mm. Yeah. In this episode. There might be a theme to that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I think so, too. But uh, if we learned anything from the scene, we learned from Aladdin, never let a life or death situation stop you from making a quip. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He bothers to say, like that. And then, watch out! As it's already swinging toward their heads. <laughs> He's kind of a bad hero. Now, this is where one of my partial problems comes up again with this episode. What, the color of Jafar's smoke? No, the color of his <laughs> bottle. Oh. Because, the, oh. now, that he's in a genie bottle. That's totally consistent with Once Upon a Time yep. in Wonderland. Uh, Jafar was cursed to be in there. Uh, but the problem here is that it's the wrong looking bottle in once upon a time in wonderland it's this more rotund black bottle that was then zapped away we don't we have no idea where it went it went somewhere 
And Ariel, being the little uh, collector of shiny objects that she is, <laughs> found it and collected it, apparently. But the bottle that we see here in Once Upon a Time is not that rotund black bottle that Jafar was cursed into. This bottle, it was probably a slight miscommunication with the props department. They probably said, get that bottle from Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. You know, the one Jafar was in. And somewhere along the way, they grabbed the bottle from Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, but they grabbed the wrong one. They grabbed Cyrus's bottle. This is the same bottle as Cyrus rips in in Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. Well, that's very strange. So they attempted to be consistent, but somewhere along the way, I realized that they were using the wrong bottle. Or they even just said, Ariel wouldn't like that black bottle. And that doesn't look like a genie bottle. Let's just put it in the other one. <laughs> I, my problem is a little bigger. They seem to have a habit of declawing every workable plot device and restriction they have. He comes out of the bottle and then he sees who his would-be master is and just flings the cuffs off, having broken the genie curse at some point in the past? Well, I want to stop you there, because is that the way that you took that scene? That he saw them and he decided, I don't want to be your genie? Sort of at first, I don't think so, but I don't really care when he did it, except that it should have a little bit more mm, oomph if you're breaking a curse like that. So I assume he did it in the past and he was just sort of waiting for somebody mm. to take advantage of or something like that. I thought that's what he said was that he, he had broken the curse a long time ago, but he was trapped. Oh, was trapped in the bottle. In the, in the bottle anyway. That's even worse. Which I thought was, yes, it was he way, just it's like, wow, that's sat convenient. Sat in the bottle. What'd he do? Have a mirror and that was true love's kiss and he broke the genie <laughs> curse? <laughs> well, um, a couple things here to note. You got to watch Once Upon a Time in Wonderland because there are some funny things to what happens when someone is a genie where it seems like they automatically start to saying uh, mastermind, three wishes. They say that whole thing. And Jafar started to say that here. And I think there are two ways that you could read the scene. One is he just started automatically reciting the genie thing and the rules and then realized, wait, why am I doing this? This is stupid. No, I'm not going to be a genie. Uh -uh." (laughs) And he throws the cuffs off. The other way you could read it is he pops out. He's prepared to be a genie in a way. And then he sees who he's going to be a genie for. And he's like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not going to be your genie. And so then he throws the cuffs off. Uh, In either way, though, I think something that is, I can't say consistent, but I think is not inconsistent with the rest of the genie rules and such is we've never seen a magical person become a genie. So in Once Upon a Time in Wonderland and in Once Upon a Time, every person who has been a genie was a normal person other than Aladdin, but Aladdin gave up his magical powers before he became a genie. So I think it could be reasonable that here, someone who is magical, yes, they are trapped by the bottle. And he did say that he was trapped for all of that time. But um, being that he's magical, he doesn't have to be bound by the genie rules and the genie curse. So like if Rumpel was cursed to be a genie, Rumpel could probably just poof the, the rings or the the bracelets off as well. Same thing with Regina or Emma or anyone else who is a magical character. Maybe. 
Well, if he's the if he's the only magical genie that we've seen, then that explains why his smoke effect was so good. Was it good? <laughs> it, I I actually went back and watched it twice. It was um, it was very specific. Instead of it just being kind of a poof of smoke, it it did interesting kind of tentacular things. It's just and too I, bad it wasn't black and didn't go. I thought it looked like maybe the only thing he had to eat inside the bottle was Mexican food. (laughs) It wasn't the color so much as the technique that I was impressed with. (laughs) It was kind of cool how it it swirled around and had different little tentacles of it. It it looked different from what I remembered the genie smoke looking like before. Oh, we are still talking about the genie smoke. Okay, good. The thing with the red stuff, the potion or the powder, whatever it is. The magic powder. That is one of those things I still don't quite understand. There were two of them. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that Jasmine saved a little in her pocket. It's Mm -mm. it was a second little vial that she threw at him. So maybe the first one. I, I don't understand why that happened or why Luckily, there are two of a them. a vial of magic was at hand. <laughs> so why throw one when there are two? <laughs> right. I liked that the first one didn't break. It was, that, that was kind of funny to me. So, yeah, but this, oh my goodness, this scene. They were just, I don't know where the problem was, but the Jasmine notes were not being hit. Mm-hmm. This, I legitimately thought for a minute that this was the origin of Jasmine the villain. <laughs> I deserve many things, and I will not let you keep me from any of them. Ooh, yeah. And I mean, and then she, she, it, maybe she killed him. I thought they didn't, I thought on this show, heroes didn't do that. Maybe he's not been killed, but they didn't make that clear. So she suddenly starts pontificating about what she deserves. And I guess that was supposed to be her realization that she shouldn't beat herself up anymore. But self-entitlement and concentrate on what we as people deserve is usually not quite fully the exact right direction to go. So then she possibly kills him. And then I'm Jasmine of Agrabah and I can have everything. Oh, wait, that's not what she said. <laughs> but... But it really felt like a villain being born until, and then she was, but I'm going to, I'm going to save Agrabah. Like, okay. Why was that so dark? It was real weird to me. Yeah. It's like the girl, if girl power, the only thing that, that makes it look like girl power is doing harm or being violent. I get, I get kind of uncomfortable about that. Right. That doesn't make me happy. But at least she got Whoville back. <laughs> I know. I couldn't stop laughing. Like, oh, <laughs> I was like, "Where's Horton? Holy cow! The poor little who's. Do they know? Do they know that they've shrunken down to this tiny little size? Are they frozen, or are they just experiencing life in the jewel? Because if you've ever had one of those really late at night conversations when you're at college, and you've been studying for a really long time, and you've pulled out the Twinkies." And you start saying, but how do we know that this planet isn't just a speck of dust on the fingernail of God? You know, and it just, it never ends. And I keep thinking the poor people of Agrabah are sitting in this beautiful diamond having those conversations forever. 
He said much as you left it, but that still doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Mm mm. Because he, he also mentioned trade agreements. So is it frozen <laughs> so they didn't starve to death or did they have to find other ways to get food out of what they had in the city? I would assume they were I think basically frozen. frozen. Yeah. Because otherwise they would be shaking around in her pocket. Well, inertial dampeners. It's the same oh, concept yeah, as the yeah, rug. That's true. And it's like a gyroscope there that keeps the city aligned yes. at all times inside of that crystal. We are way overthinking this. <laughs> Even Aladdin's hovel didn't collapse. He can see it without a microscope. And also, again, peasants and hovels and calling them hovels. I have What's to wonder that? if that line was ad-libbed. <laughs> that feels like it the kind of like line it. that you would just throw in in the moment and ad-lib. Yeah, oh, I but can so see my hovel. the duck line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the hovel. You would actually be amazed at how many scenes from movies uh, are mostly ad-libbed from because of the the skill of the character or certain dynamics to things. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if that's made its way into Once Upon a Time in many in many places. You might not believe it, but even much of this podcast is ad-libbed. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> we go off script significantly. <laughs> Just once in a while, but significantly. <laughs> so they defeat Jafar. They've got the ring back. And... So all of this time, all it would have taken to bring back Agrabah is for Jasmine and Aladdin to have kissed. Uh, did they have to be by the ring, though, or at least in the same realm? I don't know. And we don't know because the curse that was broken was not on either of them. Ooh. So it was like a proximity kiss. Yeah. You, you kiss, true love's kiss can break any curse within a certain range, like a certain radius. You might, in an attempt to break one curse, like, okay, people who have true love just as an act of service should go around kissing <laughs> in various places and see what curses they might break. Some toad might suddenly turn back into a man or a woman and they're like, oh, cool, thanks. And then they go, or or a beetle. I mean, goodness, they should go to all the villages where Rumpelstiltskin ever went and see what rodents and insects he didn't squish that might turn back into people. Stone, uh, like any gnomes, go kiss by the gnomes. Those poor things. They're probably people or gnomes, but <laughs> curses. Go break the curses, you true love people. I can't believe you're encouraging PDA. Well, I mean, curses. <laughs> but after they bring back Agrabah and they, they've learned that well the way Agrabah is protected is because of ancient magic tied to this ring Ariel's just like yes. can I have that and they let her have it Jasmine you failed Agrabah <laughs> again <laughs> she should have yes. said no I deserve that ring and then turned Ariel into a fish. I'll put it next to my magically imbued corkscrews. <laughs> Nonetheless, nice to see that it worked. And yes, Agrabah is back. And, and it's uh, pretty. Yeah. It's sparkly. And speaking of sparkly, you know who is sparkly? 
It's our wonderful heroes who support this podcast episode after episode, and we could not do this podcast without our wonderful heroes. These heroes do not give themselves up to a marriage to the villain, but these heroes do braver things to save the podcast and keep the podcast going. And so for this episode, special thanks to Lisa Slack and our 22 heroes on Patreon. Now, those heroes on Patreon... We have certain levels that if you contribute a certain amount, then we mention you a certain number of times per episode. So it's right now, it's basically for every $10 you contribute per month, you get mentioned on one episode in the podcast. But I looked back at some of our heroes there on Patreon, and I saw that some of the people that we've only named once when they first joined have been contributing for months and months and months and months. So I want to give a special shout out to everyone who has, as a total, contributed more than $100 to the podcast, but has not gotten a frequent mention before. So special thanks to these other heroes who have contributed little mounts over time. Jamie Moran, Timothy Peters, Jessica Abel, Lisa Donahue, and Keith Walters. Thank you very much for your support. And all of our other heroes, we'll mention some more of our heroes in the upcoming episodes of the podcast as well. But thank you. We could not do this without you. We would be trapped somewhere else and unable to bring this podcast to you if it wasn't for your wonderful, generous help. So if you'd like to be a hero to the podcast too, or adjust your hero ship, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. We're grateful for any support that you can give. It's how much do you value the podcast? What would you pay if we stopped podcasting? What would you pay to bring it back? Think of it that way. Thank you very much for your support. Even if it can be only a dollar per month, we really appreciate it. So check out your options over at oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. We'll talk about the last scene in the Enchanted Forest as it relates to the last scene in Storybrooke in a little bit. Mm -hmm. So we're going to skip that for a moment Mm -hmm. and jump Mm -hmm. back to Storybrooke, starting out with a very upset David. God, we had a whole (laughs) other realm to talk about. (laughs) Which one? (laughs) Storybrooke. Our realm. Doxon sent in some feedback and makes a good point here. Uh, He did say, you said this was the worst episode ever, and now I'm kind of agreeing. Now, I no longer agree with my own statement that this was the worst episode ever, and I mentioned that earlier, but uh, Doxon says, why? Because now I'm feeling sorry for David. I thought I was Henry's grandfather charming. Emma lost her love. She's lost her love a few times, so she should be a little bit used to it. It's coming from (laughs) Doxon, not me. I'm not saying she shouldn't be hurting and good on Regina and Snow for helping her out. But, hey, she has her best friend, her mom, her dad, etc. for support. David's mom? Dead. David's best friend? That was Hook, and he's gone. David's dad? Killed by Hook. Even his wife can't be supportive because she's asleep when he is awake. He's told pretty much to go sleep it off. I'm all for girl power, but guys have feelings and need support, too. Uh Thank you, Doxon. That's a good point. That is true. He's just had the terrible news, and but he needs to go wake Snow up so they can have ladies' night. I hadn't thought about it like that. <laughs> yeah, I I did wonder about that. Although it seemed the timing timing was a little off. I have to say, pacing David is not my favorite David. <laughs> no, and I I don't know that I agree with Doxon on on David's best friend being Hook because if that was a best friendship, then I don't want a best friend. 
<laughs> all, all he kept doing was saying, oh, you're nothing but a dirty pirate. Well, for one episode anyway. Yeah. He did it a couple times before, oh. didn't he? Well, he didn't like him for yeah. reasons that were probably good. <laughs> <laughs> for a while. For yeah. a while. Not as good as having Hook kill his dad. That's that's significant. Yeah, that's very significant. Now, what did Emma actually tell Hook when he left? She said, basically, when you figure out the kind of trust we're supposed to have, then we can be back together. Yeah. The way she put it in this scene, she said, until, until he figures that out, we shouldn't talk for a while. Like, okay, that's not really what you said. It's kind of similar. It's kind of similar. It's just the high school version. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you do when you're angry uh, over either your dad being murdered by your friend or your <laughs> almost fiance your pirate. <laughs> running off <laughs> you go digitize files that's what you do that's what i do Get that document scanner out and start digitizing yeah. yes so uh do we think this is foreshadowing of something are they gonna start searching the files for stuff now <laughs> i i don't know maybe that's season seven is they start to discover all of the untold stories that are in those files oh untold stories hey yeah, they should have. There's a forgotten storyline. They registered everyone who came over from the land of untold stories. Yeah, they probably should have digitized that at the very least, and you know maybe <laughs> records of businesses. Or are they not doing that sort of thing in Storybrooke? They yeah. were on the free plan of Evernote, so they ran out of their monthly storage <laughs> allotment. Do they? That's awesome. Do they not? Uh, do they not do business licensing in Storybrooke? Maybe. Uh, Planning, uh, currency, I don't think economy. Have... Do they do loans for businesses? Is there is there anything that goes into opening gold? Would a be the only bank. I don't think you have to file a DBA with anybody. I don't think he's a bank. Is he? Uh, gold, who else would be a bank aside from gold? Well, there is a bank. There is a bank. Because remember, <laughs> who runs it? An ATM that showed up for one episode. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Captured Cruella on camera. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Actually, I, I do believe that there has been a bank for a while in Storybrooke, like a sign that said something bank or bank and trust or something like that. Well, but we don't know who runs it. Saying as we found out later, some some <laughs> records, some actual business of the town would be a really good idea. I love that <laughs> the suggestion is for ladies night out at Aesop's tables. And, oh, yes. And the whole uh, ladies night out thing between regina snow and emma these people were enemies before or regina was enemies with both of them mutually uh, and now they're planning a ladies night out well right and and to break it down to a more technical way the evil queen the former evil queen is asking prince charming to go wake up snow white so they can go drinking <laughs> yeah and i love his his, his whining oh come I just woke up. <laughs> I, I did enjoy all of this as silly as so much of it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that yes. rewatching the episode, I can see more of Jane Espenson's writing in certain areas. I feel like a lot of the Storybrooke stuff For sure. was Jane mm-hmm. Espenson, especially yes. what happens inside of Aesop's Tables. Aesop's Tables. Yes. That's, that's pure Jane Espenson writing yeah. there. And beautiful. Beautifully mm-hmm. done. Clever and funny all the way along. 
But because Emma won't have any of this, she goes to get rid of Hook's stuff uh, from her house. And Which is sort of super premature, right? I would think. Well, remember, her perspective is, I confronted Hook, and he ran away. And got on the Nautilus and went For away. For a yeah. day, right? Well, yeah, well, but the Nautilus. it's a big enough action that seems like... She should pack his stuff away. I guess she was just taking it out to the shed, right? She yeah. wasn't dumping yeah, it yeah. in the trash. Right. No. Just the shed. And that stuff, she has a giant cave in the by the way, uh, yeah, why not put it there? <laughs> um, that stuff, that little chest, uh, was from the episode 604, Strange Case. That's the name of the episode, not the name of the chest. Oh. And that's when Hook let Bell stay on his ship, and then he packed up some of his stuff to take off, and then now that stuff has ended up at Emma's. Ho, ho. <laughs> it's... It's a good chest. Pirates are supposed to have them. Yeah. Is that his sea chest? The one that she snoops in regularly? Uh, Looking for engagement rings? Yeah, probably is. Uh, (laughs) So she was just snooping again, I guess. I'm going to grumble about that for a really long time. When he gets back and finds his stuff out in the shed, he's going to be like, we really have to have a talk about my sea chest. (laughs) And boundaries. Boundaries. Yep. I like that they tricked Emma into visiting Aesop's tables by calling in. Oh, it was it was a fight, uh, and that's why (laughs) you have to come. And sheriff needs to come here really quick. That was kind of funny. Now, in initial reactions, I question whether Aesop's tables actually existed. Before then, it seemed kind of suspicious. But we received some feedback. I believe uh, Meredith suggested that it makes sense if. Someone from the land of untold stories is now settled in and they're start or Aaron, I think, was talking about this. But then Meredith also suggested that Aesop is real. He does have this uh, pub, but he was knocked out and thrown under some boxes somewhere by Gideon. So there is an actual Aesop somewhere. I would be okay with that if they show it to us. Because as it stands, it's kind of like, Regina, I know you've been busy, but you're the mayor. Shouldn't you know all about the plans for weeks or months in advance as a business is opening? I mean, maybe it's not that hard in Storybook, especially since it seems to just be the rabbit hole under new management. It's not the rabbit hole. It's actually not? at a different location. Okay. It looks like the rabbit hole from different angles. Yeah. <laughs> to me. Maybe I'm wrong. I did not compare any screenshots or side-by-side video. Uh, regardless... It seems that if someone who was not registered by Henry from the Land of Untold Stories, someone so notable as Aesop, which, by the way, when did he become a fictional character? (laughs) In a way, he's basically an author, but yet his stories don't seem to be actual stories. I I mean, actual people and events kind of like the other authors. So it kind yeah. of surprises me that here they kind of put him down. They're yeah, they're saying he's just a writer. He's yeah. not the author or an author. So mm-hmm. I actually don't want him to be a new character. So for storyline, it kind of would make more sense if he were a real character and just unconscious and had his place taken by Gideon. But I don't. He. It, I don't know. Sometimes there's a thing where they'll cast someone. This happened with Merlin when we first saw him in the theater. It was like, 
they'll cast someone and you're like, I kind of wouldn't think that character is significant except that they seem to have put some effort into casting him. Mm-hmm. And it seems like he's going to be actually Gideon himself. I was kind of like, well, he's going to be in more than just these couple scenes in Dreamland. Because they went to some effort to create the character and cast him. Hmm. And that sort of feels true with Aesop, but then he wasn't real. And I also don't see, personally, a ton of potential there. So I hope that that was kind of the extent of it. It Just a sudden pop-up bar in Storybrook doesn't make any sense either. I feel I have to say what some people are thinking. Well, you should do that. (laughs) We know he's going to be a short-term character because he's black. Oh, brother. Uh, Yeah, the show has a bad history of that. Yeah, um, I, I'm. I'm. I kind of don't like saying. I'm not saying that like as a joke. I'm not racist, or <laughs> and my closest friends aren't racist either. <laughs> it, it is a bad habit the show has, though. True that of you know they cast these characters, these uh, black characters, and they're either villains or very short lived characters on the show. Yeah. So if they're That's following right. that pattern, then we could probably say that Aesop won't be back. I think. Um, the other thing is maybe having Aesop as a regular character, or not regular, but in more episode than one, starts to raise too much of the question about authorship. And then mm. can there be two authors at the same time? But maybe that's why they kind of made it clear he's not an author. Well, and he's, uh, it's an interesting, it's an interesting uh, fine point because he, he even says it that all, all he could write was uh, fables, these little short uh, stories that their only purpose was to teach a a moral, usually a specific one, and and that isn't the same kind of storytelling that that the author, the big the big author, yeah. was doing. And I I thought that was an interesting uh, pinhead to dance on. But I I I and I did and because he explained it that way, I didn't even start thinking. Well, wait a minute, but he's not a fictional character, so why is he here? Mm-hmm. But I haven't figured out how they could make it work to keep com- bringing him back. Although I, it would be nice if they did. I wouldn't mind seeing him again. And speaking of dancing on pinheads, snow. <laughs> 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 it's artisanal. <laughs> Which I think means very strong. <laughs> yeah, snow is hilarious. Uh, you just got to keep watching she the is. scenes there at Aesop's tables and just watch snow <laughs> and the different things that happens with her. Is drunk snow your favorite snow? She she is pretty funny. <laughs> there were actually several really funny lines, I thought. There was the misery meat company. And, and Regina's, now sit down and tell us about that no good pirate. <laughs> yeah. All girly. <laughs> and the, and the, do you always tattle? <laughs> Susan put that in the chat. Yes, I was cracking up. Now, it's quite impressive that Drunk Snow can score perfectly when knife throwing. And (laughs) you see the scoreboard even that she has a solid 100 score and the Vikings were only at about 47 or something like that. And she's even later playing pool with the Vikings wearing one of the Viking helmets. (laughs) <laughs> I did not see her wearing a Viking helmet. <laughs> the, the knife throw, it, aside from being drunk, was maybe the most snow-like she's been in Storybrooke, I thought. Mm-hmm. She can be that out of it and still throw the knives perfectly. Mm-hmm. It's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed that a lot. I thought the writing in that, everything that happened in Aesop's table was spectacular writing all the way along. Definitely 
probably the uh, <laughs> the Jane Espenson part. It did mm. mostly happen inside the bar, and you could even call it that that part of the episode was like a bottle episode. Huh. Hmm. Huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Thank you for the joint courtesy laugh. <laughs> it was a team effort. <laughs> it took two of you to laugh at that joke. Great. So on the drinks menu, the dog and the wolf, the fox and the grapes, the ant and the grasshopper, and uh, mm-hmm. the Aesop mentions also the artist and his wife. Any of those stories stand out to either of you? I only looked up the ant and the grasshopper, and that was the the last one that he mentioned Um it was interesting because unlike the the fox and the grapes, which was the only other one that I knew offhand, the ant and the grasshopper, the meaning of it changed over time. It used to be that, um, oh, there was the little mouse, was it Frederick? The little mouse children's story that, well, that I read about um, storing up food. So the ant in this case had been storing up food over time and the grasshopper who had been making music came along and said, hey, can you spare some food it's winter and the ant said no (laughs) go away and the grasshopper probably goes off and dies and it was supposed to be a moral of you need to work hard and put stuff away and save it for the future but over time it changed to being um, artists like musicians in this case the grasshopper are undervalued and largely mistreated by the the people with money and power and and i thought that was an interesting thing for aesop to mention when he's if not whining he's at least unhappy about the fact that he hasn't been able to do any any quote-unquote real writing and it's it's it was an interesting tie-in and i'm i'm positive that they pulled that one on purpose so when emma cried (laughs) <laughs> they they made it so obvious that oh there's something about these tears you're gonna want to remember this yeah, and yeah, i that think wasn't it's telegraphed a, it's a careful balance i think when you're producing a show of pointing something out so people know it happened so later on they're not thinking wait a minute when did that happen i know but they were clearly very very concerned about this because then you know it wasn't that much later in the episode and they put in flashbacks to the moment. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Even when he was talking about it, and I was kind of like, yeah, we were all waiting for something to happen with the tears for paying attention. It was way mm-hmm. more obvious than what a, par- a harpoon had to do with anything on the Nautilus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does seem like what they could have done is when they first showed it, just show her crying and she puts the tissue down, not focusing on the tissue. And then in the flashbacks, it focuses on the tissue and then you see Gideon pick it up or something. Put it in a bag, carry it away. Yeah, something, something. It was, it was awkward. Got the job yeah. done, I guess. That, that was, that's another way to summarize a lot of this episode. It was awkward, but it got the job done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for our last scene, which is split between both the Enchanted Forest and Storybrooke, let's jump back to the Enchanted Forest. Ariel and Hook are in the market, and... There's a nice little thing in the background. Did you notice the plush tiger in the background? Yes. That's from Disney's Aladdin. That's Raja. But have we not seen it before? Yeah, we have. I'm sure in other places like Emma's baby room. But But I think I could have sworn we saw at another point where we saw Jasmine. 
Uh, yes, actually. Yeah. With Jasmine, certainly. Here in the market, it's there again. <laughs> Why is it in the market? I, I don't know. Is Maybe that the market? Yeah. Maybe that's the where they bought it. Oh. Yeah, the, and there are more of them. <laughs> I thought it was in the palace, though. And then they went out to the market. Mass production. <laughs> I. This is part of the thing where there's some nice connection here as well as some annoying stuff. They just it, desperately wanted to say shell phone. That's all. Yes. That's what the whole season has been about. Oh, my Was gosh. getting to the point where they could just say that and it would make sense and people would groan. Well, <laughs> here's Ariel saying, I'm sure you'll find someone here who can help you get back to Storybrooke. If only uh. someone could create a portal. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice <laughs> if only there was... Hasn't she done someone. it for Hook before? Uh, for Hook, I don't know, but she has portaled from Neverland to yep. Storybrook and from Storybrook to Enchanted Forest. She's taken people, right? Um, can she only do it alone? That's what I was just wondering. Can she only do it alone? But if she can only do it herself, she still at least could be the one to take the message. Yeah. Yeah. Or something. That. Would the protection spell stop her? It didn't before, right? Because there's always a protection spell. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of some kind. Yeah. It, it did not <laughs> stop her. Uh, because even in the episode Ariel, when we saw her first go to Storybrooke, that's when the dome came down over Storybrooke and uh, Wendy's brothers just barely made it in. And then mm-hmm. Ariel popped into town. Or maybe it was shortly before that. I don't remember. But nonetheless, yeah, she can create portals. But they they kind of maybe forget that in favor of the shell phone. However, <laughs> that shell phone is not a new concept. It's not, but it was bigger before. Yes, but uh, the the big one was broken. Yes. However, the little one that's in Hook's chest mm-hmm. was what Hook was wearing in the episode 604 Strange Case. And in that episode, when he gave the big one to Belle... And he showed her the little one and he said, you'll be able to reach me. He even uh, said that it was mermaid magic and it's what uh, mermaids used to stay in touch. It's the mermaid version of the tin can telephone. Yeah. Okay. I like it. I like it. So what I I was initially upset about that seemed like they created a solution for a problem for this episode this is a, a thing that already existed and nicely connects with past episodes. Okay, I like it. Even if I vote yes. we had more coincidence. <laughs> the timing. The timing. Just whatever. How convenient it was. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm super happy that they didn't do a thing where Emma thought she heard Hook for a second, but then Gideon cut it off. And Hook's over there jabbering away and Emma doesn't get to hear and she goes on believing that he left and blah, blah, blah. They wrapped it up the week after it happened. I'm super happy about that. Mm -hmm. Well, they didn't wrap it up, but they they resolved the hashtag The misunderstanding. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I get the feeling that that communication between Hook and Emma was also Jane Espenson written because of the Mm -hmm. the really good dialogue. I did not like... As long as I'm holding on to the Savior's tears. Like, what, well, what, yeah, you're, that you're was holding on to them? You're, you're holding on to them. And that means that she can't communicate across realms. What kind of obscure connection is that? And yeah. that Hook can't portal to her. 
if it were Rumpelstiltskin, unless he was in a vial of magic mood, he would have had to do something to the tears. It would have had a singular effect, and that's all he could do with them. It's not just, they're not voodoo tears. Like, what? I don't, I don't. It's convenient beyond belief and coincidental that he showed up just after she got the message that she needed to get. Maybe it's magic that the Dark Fairy used in order to prevent Gideon from leaving the Dark Realm. Because maybe on something that Blue Fairy and Gideon had when they left Storybrooke episodes ago, when Gideon was a baby, (laughs) maybe there were some of Belle's tears on there and that prevented Gideon from portaling away. But then what actually brought him to Storybrooke in the first place? Well, we don't know. So that kind of kills that theory. Yeah. Mm. By the way, Black Fairy should already be like dead of old age. (laughs) It's been a long time in Black Fairyland years. But magical characters don't age. So how old is she? Look at Rumpel. Look at Blue Fairy. Blue Fairy has not aged and she is the original power. She was magical before Rumpel was magical. We don't know exactly how old she was uh, and if she was magical before Merlin even uh, we don't know that that's true but nonetheless she is very old and she has not been uh, in a world that works weird with time true moisturize 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 <laughs> this is what we learn from the blue fairy maybe, over and over again maybe the black fairy source of power is his children's tears this is awful (laughs) and so she's horrible to them because they cry a lot and she gets their tears and it gives her her power that's but does it have to be savior's tears no any tears but that's where he learned the magic yeah Uh, that's very believable actually actually that works (laughs) i was thinking he cried a lot why why would she want to steal babies all the time Unless she could gain power from their tears. She's like, when they're really little, I don't even have to be mean to them to get the tears. <laughs> they, they just cry. <laughs> oh, that she is totally heartless. Because when Noodle Baby is crying, <laughs> I just feel like, oh, I'm so sorry for you. I, I wish I could do something. I failed you. Yeah, I failed. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> absolutely it's the worst sound i wish i could make you feel better (laughs) Uh, (laughs) did did either of you guys read the thursday next books by jasper ford no you have to they're really funny there's the reason i bring it up is along the lines of a shell phone in one portion of the second book two fictional characters have to communicate across chapters so they use a footnoter phone. So as you're reading along on the page, you start to see this conversation happening in the footnotes on the page. And it creeps up the side of the page and does all sorts of completely wacky things. But it it solves a problem with the narrative that I guess he couldn't figure out how to solve otherwise. Hmm. It's The books are really, really fun and very clever. Interesting. Well, Gideon is certainly trying to solve a narrative that he couldn't solve otherwise, and that oh, is right. to kill the Black Fairy. And the way he said it, it, reading his expression, looked like obviously disappointment that he can't do it himself. But I also but wonder if it's a little bit of emotion that maybe he has some kind of 
emotional attachment to some level, whether it's Stockholm syndrome or something else, I don't know, but some emotional attachment to the black fairy that he actually feels like I couldn't do it myself, but she has to die. So I'm going to get you to do it for me. What do you guys think? I don't know if I buy that he was remorseful. I think, I mean, I think he was acting it, but I don't, I couldn't, I couldn't shake the feeling that this is just another uh, manipulation. Mm. And it seems like an awful big uh, bearing of the soul to say, I need you to do the one thing I couldn't do. He doesn't seem that humble to me. Well, what I got out of it was that they meant for that battle in the street to be more definitive than we ever felt like it was. To be the final battle? Nope. Oh. Nope. <laughs> but maybe the final battle between Emma and Gideon, because, oh. I mean, what happened next? We were all like, wow, she knocked him down and stuff, and then he poofed away, and he could come back at any minute and try again. But they clearly saw things differently, because Emma went canoeing, and then they went drinking, and... The whole time, they're kind of like, well, what if he comes back and tries to kill me? I'm like, he's still in town, guys. Like, I don't know why you would think he's not. <laughs> so I think they just think of this. They see they know the plot. We don't. And it hasn't necessarily come across the way that it seems they maybe wanted it to. And she's just like, oh, are you going to try to kill me again? And I'm thinking, yeah, Emma. Yeah, he is. Could have done it while you were <laughs> drinking. Could have done it while you were in a canoe. Would have been super easy. That's but true. she just thinks that she was super intimidating last time. And now why would he do it again? Because it didn't go so well last time. And he basically agrees. Hmm. He's like, oh, yeah, I couldn't defeat you. So I'm going to get you to do it for me. You can be the savior of the Black Realm or whatever they're calling it. If you can't beat him, join him. Yeah. And that may not be the case, but I do think... Maybe there's something else I'm missing about why he can't just... I mean, he even disappeared from one end of the sidewalk and appeared right next to her. Why can't he kill her at any yeah. moment? Does he have to have that sword? Or does he have to have that sword in order to take her power? And would it even work? Mm -hmm. And there are, just, there are too many questions that aren't like the kind of question that makes you theorize. They're more, they're more just like missing pieces to me. Right. So I assume that final scene just told us Here's where next week is going, and we'll figure it all out then. And unfortunately, it'll probably be somebody else's job to write that episode. So it may look a little different than what was presented here at the end of this one. Yeah, I don't know what's coming or who wrote the next episodes. Now, we do have the spoilers section coming up soon, so you'll be able to hear from Hunter and Jacqueline to know uh, what is coming in those episodes, as well as maybe who wrote some of them, who's starring in them. And that kind of thing. I try to stay as spoiler-free as possible. Meredith of Everett, Washington brings up an interesting point. She said, you want to know what kind of a pet peeve I have about this grown-up Gideon plotline? Where's Belle in all of this? We've barely seen her since the season resumed. Gideon is her son, too, and yet she hasn't been given any kind of emotional arc. Rumple was given his, but where is Belle in all this? Why don't we see her reacting to all this mess? She sent Gideon away to avoid his turning out like Rumple. Her worst nightmare came true. And yet, no one can be bothered to even show her for more than 30 seconds. And I don't think there's an episode coming that will rectify that. Yeah, when she went for help, she was really well adjusted. 
<laughs> she just explained. Yeah, he he grew up and he was raised by the Black Fairy and that affected him. And she just explained. That's a good point. She missed her only child's entire childhood and growing up. And he turned out, like you said, <laughs> like the feedback said, just like she never wanted him to. Is the actress pregnant? She was, but she had the baby. All right, then. Yeah. Um, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't see Rumple at all this episode either. Yeah. We barely saw Gideon. We saw him more than we thought <laughs> in a different form. Well, looking back at this episode and my other disappointments about certain things here and there on the episode that felt like compressed ideas, mm-hmm. it's probably what they had to do. Because here we are, we're in the final stretch of episodes before the finale we've got what five or six episodes left before the season finale maybe the series finale we don't know yet if we're getting a seventh season we just know a finale is coming up so whatever it is they've got to start wrapping things up soon and one of those things they needed to wrap up was the whole agrabah story arc and jasmine and aladdin and it felt like this episode they they needed to speed things along and wrap this up quickly. And so that's why there were some magical shortcuts and plot devices. If it's a sudden course correction because they've learned that they probably need to head toward the end, yeah. I'll buy that. If it's just, ah, we, we kind of ran out of time. I, no, because it's TV, but you can do it. I've seen tighter stories that were more expansive in fewer episodes. It can be done. And the optimist in me is saying that where they kind of took some shortcuts in this episode, it's because the next episodes are going to be really, yes. really good. And and to remind you, this episode is no longer on my bottom list. Uh, it's it's not as bad as I initially thought. No, Once wasn't. I got into all of the connections to other episodes and saw how actually continuous they were being with this episode. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah. And I think I would only call it second worst of the season. I've enjoyed most of the season. But, I, I mean, it's hard to beat retconned Murderous Bay. Yeah. And on the bottom <laughs> list. And and this one was, it was very watchable. It had a lot of fun character moments. It was just, plot-wise, I just kind of felt like it was, it could have been titled Loose Ends. <laughs> yeah both resolved and created. And speaking yeah. of loose ends, let's tie this one up. <laughs> Nicely done. We really appreciate your listening to the podcast and we'd really appreciate it if you would share this podcast out with others. Go to oncepodcast.com slash 289 to share this podcast with your friends and family and share it on Twitter, Facebook, Reddit groups, Pinterest, wherever fine podcasts are available or maybe not so fine podcasts. And ours can be the fine podcast, maybe, if you feel that way about our podcast. We would really appreciate it. You can also continue the conversation on the comments there or in our forums at onespodcast.com. Until we come back for our initial reactions on Sunday night, 9.15 p.m., and our live chat during the Eastern and Central Time show at oncepodcast.com slash live, please connect with us on Twitter at oncepodcast and follow each of us individually. I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at the Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin on Twitter at Fleegon. That's P-H-L-E-G-O-N. And I'm Heather Ordover on Twitter as at Mama O. 
This podcast would not be possible without our great team behind us, helping us episode after episode. So special thanks to Jack for writing our show notes, John Buchanan for editing our episodes, Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline for providing our spoilers. You'll hear from them in just a moment. Jacqueline and Matthew Paul for moderating the forums, Keb for masterminding our timeline, and to my fellow co-hosts, Jeremy, Aaron, Heather, Hunter, and Jacqueline for hosting this podcast with me. And until next time, You may die aboard the Nautilus someday, but not today. So thanks for listening. Once Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Big thanks to our heroes for supporting this episode of the podcast. Fake fight, real friends. If you want to be a hero too, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. Hi, Oncers. I'm Hunter Hathaway. And I'm Jacqueline. And it's spoiler time for Once Podcast. Episode 616, Mother's Little Helper. Golden Bell convinced Emma to help Gideon, explaining that together they can stop the Black Fairy. Henry experiences a disorienting shift in his powers that forces Regina to seek counsel from the previous author. Meanwhile, in fairytale land, Hook attempts to win the assistance of an old adversary by betting his most prized possession on a game of cards. And in a flashback, the Black Fairy tortures young Gideon in hopes of molding him into the perfect apprentice. Story by Edward Kitsis and Adam Horowitz, and the teleplay is by Paul Karp, and it's directed by Billy Gerhardt. Yes. So this is not actually written by Adam and Eddie. The story and what they want to happen was conceived by them, but it was actually written by somebody different, just in case nobody knew what that meant. So we have quite a few guest stars. Yeah, a lot this time. We have a lot. Um, we have Patrick Fischler back as the author, Isaac. We haven't seen him in a little over a year now. Yeah. Giles Matthey is back as Gideon. Charles Major is back as Blackbeard, who I suspect will be teaming up with Captain Hook in that card game. Yes. Jamie Murray is here as the Black Fairy. It's the first time we've seen her this current arc. Ingrid Torrens is here as the severe nurse, Peter Machen as the chief, Anton Starkman as 10-year-old Gideon, Mason McKenzie as Roderick, Grayson Gabriel as adult Roderick, Rohan Campbell as the male minor, and Eleanor Jane as a nurse. There's a lot of people. There are, and obviously we're going to be seeing... The flashback here of uh, young Gideon and the Black Fairy, which we've only gotten a very small hint of back in the uh, spring premiere. Yeah, but we did get a promo and it was, of course, super short again. (laughs) But I I thought there were some interesting things in the promo. I think it it showed a little bit more than normal. Oh, than normal? Absolutely. I completely agree with that. So it opens with Gideon demanding Emma to help him destroy the Black Fairy. Why is he always demanding everyone to help him? (laughs) I don't know. Like, it's not like asking for help. Like, he couldn't have asked his parents for help. He demands it. Well, I don't really get why he's 
asking for help all of a sudden because he was very bent on the whole I'm going to kill the savior thing. Right. So, like, where did this change in character come from? I don't know, but she says that she will never help him. Of course. But then later on we see otherwise. Yep. She helps. She's going to help him, of course. Of course she is. (laughs) Yeah, because Gold um, tells Emma and Snow about the Black Fairy and is probably trying to, like, you need to help him. (laughs) Right. Because he's basically saying that all the evil you've ever experienced or fought before comes from her. Like, she's the originator of all that is evil or something. So it's really important that you go and take her out, which is probably what makes Emma eventually help Gideon. Yep. And then we see Huck and Blackbeard take a portal. They throw something down on the ground, probably magic bean or something. Of course there's a magic bean. I'm going to guess there's a, it's a magic bean. I don't know what other portal it would be. Yeah. And you don't know exactly where they're going, but we will find that out in like five seconds. <laughs> yeah, the the promo very much keeps going back and forth between all the storylines. Right. It's not like all one storyline and then all another. So Gideon now has blood on his face like he's been in a battle. Mm-hmm. And Emma is beside him, ready to help. Yep. And then we suddenly see Regina going to visit the author who's locked up in the psych ward. Yep. And then Hook, flash over to Hook, he realizes he's in Neverland and the Lost Boys, or I'm thinking it's the Lost Boys, go to attack him. Well, I guess it's the Lost Boys as well, but didn't they all come home in season three with the heroes? I don't know. They they got on the ship with Emma and the rest of the family, and they came back to Storybrooke, and we've never heard from them since. So I don't know if either this is a continuity error, if the if these are not the Lost Boys, or if a very small contingency of the Lost Boys stayed behind without Peter Pan, and I don't know, they're still there? I don't know. It looks like Lost Boys to me. Not the Lost Boys, but... Mm. But why are they even going to Neverland? There are clearly a lot of ways to get from the Enchanted Forest to Storybrooke now, <laughs> including a magic bean. They've taken a magic bean between the two realms before, so, <laughs> like, yeah. why are we going to Neverland? I don't know. Maybe it was. it has a caveat in its thing saying, you can go somewhere, but we won't tell you where. Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> But then, hey, look, we see a giant spider. Of course there's a giant spider. Why wouldn't there be? It's Argog. It's, yeah, it's definitely Argog. Harry Potter reference, for those of you who don't get that. Possibly Shelob, if you want to go Lord of the Rings. But, yeah. I never saw Lord of the Rings. <sighs> what? I'm sorry. I never got into them. I worked at the movie theater at the time, and I would go in and watch parts of the movie. <laughs> and I just got bored. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, back to the... Back to Once Upon a Time. Right. Emma asks Gideon how to kill the thing, and he just says that you're the savior. Right, because that's super helpful. Right, exactly. (laughs) Not Okay, but I just want to point this out. Yes, she's the savior, but he clearly has magic. We've seen it. Right. You also have swords and, I don't know, a heavy rock. (laughs) Just kill the spider. So that was our promo. So we learned a lot. It was just super short. Yeah. But we got some photos. Yes. And they are, I think, two scenes this time around. 
two whole scenes, sort of. Woohoo! I know. So the main ones, though, are Emma, Snow, Gold, and Belle are all in, I think, what is the sorcerer's house back from season four where Rumple found the hat. It looks like it's a study of some sort. Yeah, or- like where they found all the blank books back in season four. But th- it's like covered in cobwebs. <laughs> yeah, or, okay, I think it's from that big spider. Yeah, I think it is, too. Because that is a lot of cobwebs. I just want to know why there's a giant spider in this house all of a sudden. Like, right. how did it get there? Is that why the Why is it fairy? there? I- <laughs> oh, my gosh. Please let it be the blackberry. <laughs> I mean, they... <laughs> Maleficent is technically a fairy, and she turns into a dragon. There you go. So why can't the black fairy turn into a giant spider? But it looks like this spider has taken over the house. Yes. Because there's other photos, too, and you all you see are these big, huge cobwebs. Yeah, and then we do have a second scene w- with one photo of Emma and Gideon. It looks like they're about to maybe go into battle because it's more spider webby. Yes. So so. it must be that they're going to go kill the spider. Yeah. And then we do have one final photo of Gold who's just holding his dagger. Like he does. Yeah. So not a whole lot to get from that except for the fact that if you do not like spiders, be prepared for this episode. You not watch this episode. Yeah. And we also got a script tease. Yay! That's new because that was not there last night. (laughs) Who do you want to be? I'll be Regina. All right. I will be Henry then. How's it going, Mom? It's going. Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) (laughs) And scene. And scene. That's that's the entirety of that script tease. There you go. Yeah. That's all we have for you on this episode. But we got some more season finale photos. We did, and they're all really confusing. (laughs) Yes. This is one of those years where we have a lot of photos, but... I'm not quite sure how to piece them together. So they don't a, say anything. Yeah, there's a lot of speculation and a lot of theories about the photos, but I can't actually like definitively tell you how this season's going to end. <laughs> right, because it wouldn't be our Once Upon a Time fans if it wasn't tons of theories. Mm-hmm. So first up, we have Zelina on camera, and she's actually holding baby pistachio. Yeah, she's walking around with baby pistachio. Um she hasn't been a huge part of anything lately. I mean, she's got us a, a centric coming up in like what four or five episodes, but um, she hasn't been a huge part of this season or this arc or anything. So I'm not sure what she's doing, but she's out there taking baby pistachio for a walk. And at least she has him, unlike hiding somewhere. True, true. It looks like Emma's going somewhere in one of the scene in one of the photos yeah. her yellow bugs parked out on the side of the car she's kissing henry on the forehead and his arm is in a sling so i'm guessing this is after the whole ambulance scene yeah i think so too i don't know the ambulance scene and everything is very weird <laughs> because i think what we're going to be having is another alternate reality fin- finale sort of like in season 3 we had them uh going back in time and you know, seemingly time changing. And then in season four, we had a completely different reality. I don't know. I'm not quite sure that this is like official storyline or something. What does seem more official, though, are a lot of the photos that were taken of Emma and Hook that I think will likely be 
one of the final scenes that we see of the season, um, which is Emma and Hook are in the bug, and they're obviously going to go drive somewhere. A few things to know, though, is that, one, Hook is wearing his deputy badge. So I think he's joined the police force, which makes sense because we pretty much know that Jennifer Goodwin and Josh Dallas are leaving the show. And they need another police officer. They need a deputy because that's what Charming was. And Storybrooke is so full of crime that they need so many. I mean, they just nonstop police force, right? I mean, I think this was the first time in like two seasons we've actually seen Emma in the police station doing police work. I know, right? So (laughs) obviously they need another deputy to handle all that. And then a lot of people comment that it almost looks very series finale in that you have one of the main couples on the show literally driving off into a sunset. (laughs) Well, as I've said, I believe I've said in the past on on air. Um, I believe that they, since they don't know, it's still up in the air as if the show's coming back. We haven't heard anything yet. They have to end it where they can pick it back up or not. Yes. So that's where I take that from. I agree. And then there were a lot of outdoor photos of at night and it looks like they're recreating Emma's vision so it's that sword fight scene again what's weird this time though is that everyone is dressed up in tuxes and very fancy dresses um really yeah i didn't see that photo so the theory that's kind of going around right now is that the black fairy interrupts the captain swan wedding and casts some sort of alternate reality spell and that's essentially what these two final episodes are going to be, is this alternate reality and breaking that alternate reality, which might explain some of the more strange aspects like Henry in the ambulance plus the Black Fairy in normal clothing with Rumpelstiltskin driving around as if she's part of the town and the community. It also might explain why Emma has a different set of clothing in some in some photos. Her famous red leather jacket got a very strong update. It was much brighter, cleaner. It looked like it was brand new. So that might explain what's going on. But then we do see the showdown between Gideon and Emma without Rumbell. We don't know where they are during all of this. It's kind of important to note that during all of this filming that's been happening lately, we haven't seen Bobby or Emily. Okay. And then there's some contradicting information. So one day I got reports that Regina was going to take Emma's place in the showdown versus Gideon and actually sacrifice her life for Emma because there are pictures of Emma and Regina arguing before the fight, and then there's a picture of Regina laying down on the ground. But the next day, there was a video showing that it really was Emma who's fighting Gideon, and, you know, they've they put all the touches on, like there are big flashes of light and lots of people yelling. So I still really have no idea where this is going. So, yeah, and then there's a lot of other photos. Yes. We keep seeing photos of the guy we all think is adult Henry, but we still we still don't know <laughs> who he is. I don't think he looks like he's got those little teeny tiny round glasses. Yeah. I guess they're like smaller than Harry Potter glasses, in my opinion. And I don't know why, but I just don't see Henry wearing those. Mm. So that's just me. And 
there haven't been a whole lot of pictures of the girl that is supposed to also be coming on the show. Um, we know she's there. We know she's filming. Her Instagram is full of pictures of herself with the cast, but she's not filming largely with our core group and this main action. So I, I have no idea who she is. But we do see Snow and Charming out with a baby. Yep, out with baby Neil. Looks like an it's actual baby. It's actual not baby. like a fake baby. Because you know how you can always tell when they have a fake baby? Yep. This one's an actual real-life baby. He's sitting up or holding his head up. Which, for some reason, in my head, I still think of the baby as a baby baby. Like a newborn baby. Well, yeah. And he's also, in the show, only supposed to be about five months old, maybe. No, then that's okay. It looks a little older than five months, but I can tell you at five months, my son had his head up and holding mm. it up and everything like that. And then one new aspect here, they have erected a statue of Snow and Charming in Storybrooke in their Enchanted Forest clothing. Um, this statue is likely there because Jenny and Josh are leaving the show, snowing or going away, either Probably back to the Enchanted Forest. I imagine that's what they're going to do. Um, so I think this was probably built in Storybrooke to celebrate them because we won't be seeing them. <laughs> that's sweet. So that they're still part of the show. Yeah. And then pretty much everybody has wrapped on season six. There are a few things to do in studio. And we know that uh, over the past day or two, Colin, Jennifer, and Bobby and Emily were all filming, but it was all indoors in studio, so no idea what they were doing. Because, of course, they want to keep it secret. Yeah, and Adam Horowitz did tweet that he was watching Robert Carlyle work, and it was really something to see, to which I believe is going to be Rumpel's death scene. I'm still convinced he's going to die this year, and I think that's going to be Bobby's way off the show, is that they're going to kill Rumpel for good. Okay, so let's move on. There was a couple, There was an interview. Did you see this interview? I did. Okay, it's Jennifer Morrison. They, so they were pretty much asking her, what does the Black Fairy want? And she goes, we don't entirely know. That's what makes it even scarier. She's definitely someone that we know has existed in pure darkness for a very long time and has been the root of a lot of the darkness without us having known that she was the initiator of things. So we do know that, but we don't know exactly what it is that she wants or what she's capable of. So we're all in a race to find her, deal with her, and cut off any resources she has to darkness. Yeah, so um, one of the theories is that the Black Fairy is the one who created the Dark Curse. Okay. So if if she did that, you know, that's pretty dark. We've always been told that's one of the darkest curses or the darkest curse there is, so... I'm hoping they don't give her too much of a sob story. Yeah, I kind of want to keep her evil. Right, like, let's let's just make her completely evil at this point. Do we have any updates on a season seven? We do. Um, still most likely getting renewed because ABC's dramas are just tanking hard. And even though the numbers for Once Upon a Time are still pretty low comparatively, it's probably still going to get renewed. But there are some new rumors about the cast. Obviously, we've been talking a lot about the fact that Jenny and Josh and Jared are most likely gone. Um, but there was a rumor that came out this week that Lana has signed on as a regular, but with certain unknown conditions. I really don't know what they are. That Colin has signed on as a regular again. 
and that Jennifer Morrison has signed on, but only part time. So she won't be a regular. She'll be reoccurring, which means she could only be in about three or four episodes per arc. Okay. So I could see this coming. Um, just for the fact, like they're, Ratings have been low, even though they're one of the quote-unquote higher ones for ABC, because everyone's pulling sponsorships. So they probably don't have as much money as they've had in the past, especially with all the CGI work that goes into this show. Mm -hmm. So when people sign on for part-time, that's why you'll see main characters not always be in every episode. That's what I think is currently happening with um, Ginny and Josh this season. That That's why usually you don't see both of them in the same episode. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a budget concern, I think, as well. I also think that they've been doing this for six years, quite a few of them. And I I think there's a shelf life for how long an actor wants to play a character. You know, I, right. I, I think that, you know, a lot of the feeling in the fandom is that Robert Carlyle has been done with Rumpelstiltskin for a while. But he's very committed to his family and making sure that they have a home in Vancouver because they've been living there for so long that he kind of keeps coming back. I think he's finally done though. You know, Jenny and Josh, they've been playing these characters for six years. Their storylines are progressively getting smaller and their screen time is progressively getting smaller. So they're probably ready to go on to new projects. They also have two kids now. And I, I do think that Jennifer Morrison, if you listen to a lot of her interviews, her passion has turned toward directing and producing, and she wants to see Emma through to the end because it is a character she deeply loves, but I do think she's ready to to move on. So there are a lot of feelings with the cast, and there is no word on Rebecca Mater or Emily DeRaven, like nothing. (laughs) Both of them, obviously, not... As they haven't been on the show as long. This is Emily's fifth year. And Bex has only been a regular since last year. Right. So I think it's possible that Bex will probably leave. She doesn't have a huge storyline. If they need to save some money, you know, I think she'd be easy enough to cut, sadly. And I don't know how they would have bell on the show if rumple's going to die she doesn't get a huge amount of screen time as is she doesn't get a whole lot of story her story really is just being part of rumbell so if bobby's gone emily might also be gone she might go on a new adventure yeah right i don't think they're gonna kill bell i think they'll send her somewhere away from town and then that opens the door for them to have these two new characters as series regulars Fun and exciting stuff. It's that time of year. Yep. So that's all we have for you this week. I'm Hunter. You can follow me on Twitter at Traveling Pixie. I'm Jacqueline, and you can follow me on Twitter at Punk underscore Bunny underscore 87. Until next time, Oncers.